0: two Timothy chapter four verses one to twenty two and that could be found on page one hundred sorry one thousand one hundred and ninety seven one thousand one hundred and ninety seven. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with, the sound, with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own to start desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside some myths. But, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Chrysons has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titicus to Ephesus and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls. Especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what He has done. You too, be on your guard against him, because He strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be soon held against them, may it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for and ever. Amen. Final greetings. Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Your stayed in Corinth and I left... Trophimus, ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you. And so do Prudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So particularly with all those names. And uh, if I say any of them differently, then it's not because I know how to say them, it's just that's how I'm used to saying them. So, uh, well, here we are into Timothy again. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, please do keep it open, uh, page 1197, and then you can follow along. I'll pray, and then we'll take a look at this passage together. Father God, we, as we come to the end of this uh, series in two Timothy, we thank you once again for our great older brother, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his love of Jesus and his love of people. And we thank you that he was faithful in the race, faithful in the fight, that he made it to the end. And we pray as we think on his words now that you would do in us the work that needs to be done this morning. We pray that none of us would leave this building unchanged this morning, but conformed more to Jesus' likeness. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, many years ago now, I uh, used to work for a company in the city called Finsbury. It was a financial PR firm, and they were good to us in a number of ways. Uh, One of the little perks they gave to us was a membership of the Virgin Active gym chain, which is quite a a nice gym chain. Um, The irony was that we so rarely got lunch breaks that it was quite hard to find time to go. Uh, The only people in the company who had contractually specified lunch breaks were the secretaries, and so they were probably the fittest people in the company. And not only did they uh, use their gym membership, they were also into marathons and that sort of thing. My desk was quite near the kitchen, and I remember one day overhearing a conversation between two of the secretaries in the kitchen. So one said to the other, I'm thinking of doing my first marathon. I think I might do it in Paris. And the other one said, no, no, no. You do not want to do the Paris marathon. The Paris marathon is well known for its lack of supporters. And I thought to myself, sounds a bit strange. Good distraction from work. I'll Google this, looked it up, and it's true. Paris marathon, well known. In fact, near the end of the race, they go through a big public park called the Bois de Bologna, and in that bit, the last bit of the marathon, there are long stretches with no supporters at all. So, you know, it's the worst bit of the race, your legs are screaming, your lungs are burning, and there's no one there to cheer you on. New York Marathon, by contrast, over 2 million people come out to support the New York Marathon. That's about the population of Birmingham coming out standing along the 26-mile route, the best supported marathon in the world. So you can see why it would be much more encouraging to do the New York Marathon and have all those people cheering you on than to be doing Paris. Because a marathon's never going to be easy, is it? I mean, personally, I think it's a bit mad, but there you go. Some people seem to be keen for it. But a marathon where there are no supporters, or even worse, where the supporters, the people alongside actually want you to fail, is going to be much, much harder, isn't it? And Paul says the Christian life is not so much like the New York Marathon, It's more like the Paris Marathon. The world is rarely on our side. Now if that introduction sounded familiar to some of you, it's because you were here in January and that's how we started this series. But the verse that gives us uh, the the Christian life as a race is in today's passage. Uh, Verse 7, read me again. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Remember that this is Paul's last letter. He's writing from prison to young Timothy, uh, his apostle, his disciple in the faith, his son in the faith, he elsewhere describes him. And it is as if in in this relay race of the Christian life, Paul is handing on the baton to Timothy, handing on his ministry, his responsibilities in the church, his great responsibilities in Christ's church. And Paul is at the finishing line. It's been hard, but he has made it to the end. And now the question is, will Timothy make it to the end? And if so, how will he do it? How is he going to make it to the finishing line? Well, uh, these first two verses, they've been described uh, as the most exalted uh, exhortation in the whole of Scripture. Paul writes, In the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is the rallying call to Timothy. And by extension to all whose calling, whose life's work it is, to preach God's word to people like Steve, to people potentially like Richard and I in the future, to Michael who's here at the moment, and it has implications for all of us. All of us, if we know Christ, are called to be ministers in the whole of our lives, and as we'll see as we go through, it has implications for all of us. You see, the way to guard the gospel, to keep it from one generation to the next, is not by bunkering down, hunkering down, keeping your head below the parapets. Sometimes the best defence is a good offence. And that is always the case with the Gospel. We keep the Gospel by sharing the Gospel. Paul says to Timothy, go out with God's Word. Don't hide away with it. Take it out there. Share the Word. Preach the Word. Speak the Word. That is how the Gospel is kept from one generation to the next. But people don't always like it, do they? People aren't always receptive to God's word. And so Paul says to Timothy, verse 2, in season and out of season. That is when the word seems fruitful, when people are glad to hear it, when they're responsive to it. But also when it seems like they're not, when it seems like it's just hard ground and no response Sometimes when we share God's word with people, they receive it joyfully and it bears real fruit in their lives. And then sometimes, nothing. Sometimes, you know, you might have friends who you've been trying to tell about Jesus for years and it seems like no progress. We don't know when the season is going to be in and when the season is going to be out. We don't know when it's going to be fruitful, when it's not going to be fruitful. But God does. And so he says to us, share all the time, in season and out of season. But then in verse 3, Paul gives us a reason, and it seems a slightly surprising reason. I kind of imagine this conversation between Paul and Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. And Timothy says, why, is it going to be really popular? And Paul says, no, actually people really aren't going to like it. Verse 3, 4 the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's why Paul qualifies at the end of verse 2 with great patience and careful instruction. It's not going to be easy. Paul wants to remind Timothy, look Timothy, however good a preacher However faithful in prayer, however faithful in your study of God's word you are, some will turn away. Paul saw it in his ministry and Timothy will see it in his. See, in verse 3, Paul doesn't say the time might come, the time may come when people will not be keen. He writes this, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and instead To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And if you are a Christian here this morning and you've been a Christian for any length of time, then I'm almost certain that you will have seen people turn away from Christ, give up in that time. Friends, former colleagues, perhaps, members of this church, members of another church. And remember from chapter 1, verse 15, that Paul's experience was no different. He writes to Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Homogenes. Why does he name those guys? Probably because Timothy would have known them for Paul to reference them. And when that happens, when people turn away, and particularly if people in Christian leadership turn away, sometimes we can be tempted to think, is there something wrong with the message? Has something gone wrong here? And Paul wants to say no, despite what it may look like. Because sometimes it is people who are very close to us. Look at verse 9. Paul's final remarks in this final letter. He says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. And Titus to Dalmatia. Now, Cretans and Titus, it's ambiguous. Did they leave Paul because they were moving away from the gospel, also wanting to move away from being affiliated with Paul? We don't know, but with Demas, there's no doubt, is there? Paul writes, Because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas, probably not a familiar name to most of us, uh, but for Paul, he was a close friend and, in fact, a fellow worker. So, this is Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. I.e. Luke, the Gospel writer, and Demas. And then Philemon uh, 1, verse 24, and in this verse it's probably the Gospel writer Mark that is referred to. So Paul writes, Epaphras sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, my fellow workers in the faith. So it's not, I heard that a friend of a friend gave up. Some guy I met once gave up, but Demas, my close personal friend, my fellow worker in the faith has given up. Paul in prison thinking on this, this loss. It may be close friends who give up. My longest standing friend in this world uh, is a man called uh, Paul McHugh. Um, we were at school together and uh, he professed faith on the same day as I did. Um, We both prayed together with some Christians on Canterbury High Street uh, when we were 14, um, and Paul has given up uh, in the faith. My longest standing friend would have been Alex Holmes. Uh, We were friends from very young, but he committed suicide uh, two years ago. And Alex, like Jamie, uh, like Roger, like me, with all of us, our mothers were Christians, still are, um, and our fathers are not. We were in the same school year. And by the time we'd hit our teenage years, all of them, Alex, Roger, Jamie, all had walked away from the church. Now, I do have reason to hope that Alex may have been trusting in Jesus when he died. But I don't know, and I don't have reason to be greatly confident Uh, Jamie and Roger are still not involved in churches. Stuart, he was the boldest Christian in my school in sixth form. I was amazed at Stuart's boldness. Pav... Uh, We shared a room on my first Christian Union weekend away at uh, at university. Uh, Stefan led our small group. Um, Sarah, she professed faith in Christ, married my my best friend Phil, um, and then gave up uh, on the faith. They've all dropped out of the race. Now, why? Why did they stop running? Why did they stop fighting? And on one level, I could point you to different reasons for all of them. But at a more fundamental level, it was the same reason... Every time, the cost was too high. Perhaps they loved a conflict-free life more than Christ. Loved approval more than Christ. Loved money more than Christ. Love of sex, love of intimacy, love of status, love of respectability, love of a suffering-free life. And in the face of that crisis, what is Timothy to do? Well, Paul says, look, Timothy, the same thing you've been doing. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. What does it mean for us if we're not in formal teaching, preaching, ministry? Well, for all of us, then, it means a listen to God's word. Read ourselves and preached faithfully. Listen and obey. We don't need trending. We don't need the latest church fad, whatever it is. We don't even need our favourite style of music or style of service. We need God's Word in season and out of season when we want it and when we don't, when we feel like it's working in our lives and when we don't necessarily feel like it's working. We still need God's Word because we need to recognise that the description in verses 3 and 4 of those with itching ears is just as liable to apply to us as to anyone else. So we need, not to, we need to not choose who we listen to based on whether we like what they say. We need to choose who to listen to based on whether they're saying what we need to hear. Will they challenge us? Will they exhort us? Will they reprove and rebuke us? Will they make us feel slightly uncomfortable sometimes in our comfortable sin? That's what we need. If we never feel any challenge then we're probably not hearing God's voice. Well, for Timothy, Paul says, don't be like those who turn their ears away from the truth, verse 4, but, verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations. Don't be turned aside. Endure hardship. It will be difficult to keep going in the race. It's not a sprint. It's not a 10K. It's a marathon. It's a triathlon. It is a seemingly endless fell run across difficult terrain and, and we don't know where the end is coming. Now we don't have to win the race. We don't have to run the race in style. We just need to get across that finishing line still trusting Jesus. Keep your head. Endure hardship. And then Paul says this. It seems slightly left field. Do the work of an evangelist. And I wonder whether it's because so often it's if we share the Word of God with others, that is often the most encouraging thing for us. And I wonder if, well, I know there is, the temptation to almost have two sets of conversation. The, 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 the conversation we have when we're at church or with Christians where we talk about the things of God and then a completely different set of conversation for when we're hanging out with others who don't know God. And I think Paul would want to say, look, you guard the gospel not just by coming to a room once a week and repeating it amongst the faithful, but by sharing it. And as you share it amongst others, you grow yourself. Uh, the, The old slogan of UCCF used to be maturity in mission. It is as we share that we grow. And then Paul says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Keep going. Timothy, don't give up. Don't back down. Keep going to the end. As Paul has done, And I love this bit here. Um, uh, We won't go to it for time, but if you look back to 1 Corinthians 9, uh, you see there where Paul, much nearer the beginning of his ministry, says, look, I want to make it to the end, and so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I beat my body and make it my slave. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that I might make it to the end, so that I might finish the race and get the prize. And then here we are in Paul's final letter and he's able to write these words. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. He did not box as one beating the air. I have finished the race. He did not run aimlessly. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Like a sacrifice poured out on the altar of the temple, Paul has poured out his life in the service of the gospel. And the words he uses of a fight and a race, they're not those of a comfortable journey to a holiday destination, but an exhausting campaign for a victory that lies in the future. So why keep going? If it's hard, why keep going if it's a difficult race? Well, for the same reason that the front runners in the Paris Marathon keep going when their legs are screaming and their lungs are burning as they run through that, it no supporters. The prize, the prize that lies ahead. And notice who the prize is for. Again, verse 8, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Why did Demas give up? Demas gave up because he loved this world. Why will those who receive the crown on the last day be those who receive the crown on the last day? Because they have longed for the next world. They have longed for Christ's appearing. They have longed to see Jesus because they have loved him more than the world. Why will those who receive the crown on the last day be those who receive the crown? Because they love Jesus. And we're so prone to make everything into a work, aren't we? It's not that you need to reach an arbitrary level of love. If you get 85% love, you're in. 75%, sorry, not good enough. It is that if we love Jesus... If we love Jesus more than we love the world, then we will keep making decisions that keep us in the race rather than turning aside to easier paths. Demas dropped out because he loved the world. But if we love Jesus more than we love the world, then we will make it to the end. The Christian life is not New York in terms of marathons. It's Paris. But the prize is worth any effort. Let us fight the good fight. Let us finish the race. Let us keep the faith. It's not spectacular. Again, we're not supposed to win races like Mo Farah. There are no shortcuts for us. We don't need to finish in style. We just need to get across the line, one foot in front of the other, so that on the last day we like Paul and we trust, like Timothy, can receive that crown and so as we close I want you to imagine for a moment with me imagine the day when Jesus comes back and perhaps if you're here and you don't follow Jesus imagine that you never chose to follow Jesus or imagine that you made a commitment once but you let it slip away and you did so because of a relationship perhaps or the desire for a relationship Or because you found time to catch up on all of those box sets but not to see if Jesus really was who he claims to be. Or because perhaps you drifted away because keeping quiet about Jesus meant that promotion at work. Or because church was a half hour away on the bus or the weather was often bad. Or because you were afraid your friends would think you were a bit of a fun sponge or because you thought they might think you were narrow-minded or misogynistic or homophobic or a fool. And then on the last day, Jesus comes and the door to the heavenly banquet is shut in your face and you hear Jesus say these words from the Gospel of Matthew, I don't know you or where you come from. What would you think on that day? Was it worth it for that relationship? Was it worth it for the fleeting popularity? That's the scenario we hope doesn't come true. But imagine this. Imagine getting to the last day and you didn't give up. Imagine getting to the last day and you endured. You knew who you were living for. You knew who you were running for. And so even when it was difficult, you refused to let anything stop you holding on to Jesus. And perhaps faithfulness to Christ meant that you turned down Relationships, and perhaps you ended up single until the day you died because of your love for Jesus. And perhaps you never got promoted and you never got that house with the roses over the front gate and the Mercedes on the drive because of your love for Jesus. And maybe you lost friends along the way because they did think you were narrow-minded or misogynistic or homophobic or a fool. But you held on to your love for Jesus. And maybe along the way other people looked at you and looked at your life And they saw how you lived differently. And they asked you why. And you were able to share with them why. And they turned and they joined you in the race. And you see their smiling faces on the day when you enter heaven. And Jesus opens the door to the heavenly banquets. And he says your name. And he says, I've been looking forward to this moment. Enter into the joy of your master. And as you fall to your knees, an angel hands Jesus a crown of such splendour that if you were to see it now, you would go blind. And Jesus places it on your head and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Surely it must be worth enduring anything, paying any price to get to that last day. We don't need to finish the race in style. We just need to cross the finishing line still trusting Jesus. So let's pray that we would.